0: mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the gospel record of Luke. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number eight. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number eight. We're continuing with our series and finishing up this first part of this series dealing with the idea of the miracles of Christ. Remember that there are 35 specific individual miracles that are recorded within the gospel records. And that we know that according to the gospel record of John, that if we were to record everything that Jesus had done within his earthly ministry, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. That means that God had specifically chosen to list these 35 miracles and that each of them are here to teach us something, to teach us more about the Lord, teach us how God works, to teach us a little bit more about what God is doing with the idea of miracles. Remember that miracles are never done for the purpose of satisfying curiosity. They're never done for the purpose of just making us feel better, but they're always done for the purpose of promoting who the Lord is. And so if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and look with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 8. The gospel record of Luke in chapter number 8. And if you don't mind, let's start uh, looking at it in the gospel record of Luke chapter 8. And let's look starting at verse number 40. Luke 8 and verse 40. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there was a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of a synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a dying. And as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any came behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee, and press thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Someone hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue was gone out of me. And when the woman had saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and fell down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was immediately healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. While he yet spake, there cometh one out of the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he had come into the house, he suffered no man to go in save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, Arise, And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, and he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Luke? The Gospel record of Luke in chapter number 55. And notice at the beginning of verse 55, it says, And her spirit came again. And her spirit came again. With the Lord's help, we want to put an emphasis on this great story, this great historical thing here of dealing with this little maid. As we come here, we can see that this is an amazing story with a lot of things that are going on. If you don't mind, I'd like to show you a couple things. The first thing I'd like to show you is the man in desperation. The man in desperation. So we could see that Jesus has come back into the, uh, the shores of Gadarenes. And this time, uh, uh, when we, f- the last time Jesus had left the shores of Gadarenes, they chased him away because they saw the maniac of Gadara and they saw how when Jesus dealt with him, he was sitting at his feet, clothed in his right mind. And they, out of fear, chased Jesus outside of their coast. Well, this time, when Jesus came back because of the testimony of this man, and they were able to look and see, "Look, he is different. It wasn't just a, a day change or a time that he was doing. he 's different now. Now everyone thronged him. So, as Jesus is getting off the boat, the whole crowd is there. Everyone wants to talk to Jesus. Everyone has a need. And in the midst of this, you have a man by the name of Jairus. Notice if you don't mind as we see this in verse number 40. And it came to pass that when Jesus returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. So here's this man in desperation. He knows that his 12-year-old daughter, his only daughter, she's dying. She is currently in the process of dying. In fact, we'll watch in this story. How close was she to death? She actually died before Jesus got there. And so this man, Jairus, realizes that his daughter has just moments to live. Just moments to live. And he's desperate. I have to get to Jesus. I heard that Jesus is able to heal. We talked to this maniac of Gadara. This guy is clothed in his right mind. And he said it was because he had an encounter with Jesus. If I could just get Jesus to my daughter, my daughter will, shall live. And so can you imagine that the daughter doesn't have days, doesn't have weeks, doesn't have years. She has moments before her death. And so her father goes out. The whole uh, town is in an uproar saying, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. And so this man takes off and meets Jesus outside the shore. He falls down at his feet and he begins to beg Jesus. Now, An interesting thing is that he was the ruler of a synagogue. He was someone who was in charge of a Jewish teaching center. So this is someone who knew the Old Testament. And many people of the synagogue had begun to reject Jesus. But him, he's desperate. If Jesus can help, I'll be glad for him. I'll be glad to allow Jesus to, to do whatever he needs to do if he'll just heal my daughter. And so he comes and begins to drag Jesus. If you could imagine having a big uh, day, a Black Friday sale, or like yesterday, a leap day sale on a Saturday, and everyone decided they were going to be out and about, and everyone's there, everyone wanted to see Jesus, and here's Jarius grabbing the hand of Jesus, and saying, come on, come on. But it says that the the crowd, they thronged him. This word throng is a very visual word. It carries the idea that everyone's in the way pushing against him. And everyone's trying to touch him. Everyone's in the way. So it's not like Jairus can clear a path. It's not like an idea that the people are parting in front of Jesus and it's just busy. Everyone's trying to touch Jesus and Jairus has to fight against the crowd. So imagine if you don't mind, let's put ourselves in Jairus' spot. Let's put him in his perspective for this story. Here is a man who knows his daughter has moments to live. There is no time to waste. If he is late bringing Jesus there, she's going to die. And all of these people are in the way. That's how he saw those people. They're in the way. Have you ever had people in your way? Have you ever been so impatient that no matter what, you just see people that's in the way? It's all you see them. They're bothering you. You know, think about this. There are people in this crowd who needed Jesus too. There are some people that needed to know what Jesus can do. They needed to hear his message. But Jairus didn't care about any one of them. Here was a desperate man who saw his need and it was something personal to him. His daughter was dying. And all of these people are in the way. Can you imagine how frustrated he was? Could you imagine how upset he was? Get out of my way. He probably was not using nice words. Please will you move? Get out of my way. I need to get Jesus. Stop touching him. Could you imagine a desperate father upset, not caring about anyone else, just had one thing in mind. I've got to get Jesus there. I've got to do it. We have to realize that there are many times in our life that God will allow us to get desperate. What do I mean by this? Oftentimes people have a take it or leave it religion. And if it's a take it or leave it religion, they'll leave it every time. As soon as it becomes inconvenient, they'll stop. So, you know, I think it's a good idea to go church, but you let something happen and guess what? You're not going to be in church. You know what? I think it's important to read my Bible. Eh, But I got too busy today and it's no big deal. I didn't miss it. And so, that's how most people treat the things of the Lord. It's a take it or leave it. But when you get desperate and you realize that Jesus is your only way, your only answer, it changes how you treat things. It changes how you see things. It is no longer a take it or leave it. It's no longer a thing where, well, Jesus, if he gets to my house, that's nice. If not, you know, no big deal. It was a big deal to him. At this moment, Having Jesus in his home was the most important thing that could happen to him. It wasn't a take it or leave it thing. It wasn't, this thing is a nice thing to do. It was Jesus needs to get there or else. As long as we have it a take it or leave it, we usually leave it. But when there's no way out, no way to deal with it except for God intervening, That's when we get desperate. God has to do this. I can't do it myself. I can't fix it. I have to have Jesus. So here's a desperate man realizing he has to get in the way. Then as we read this account, can you imagine this desperate man? He's already pushing against the crowd. We come to this second thing, this miraculous interruption. So Jairus doesn't care about anyone else. That's established. Everyone else is in his way. He's trying to pull Jesus. The crowd is pushing against Jesus. Jarius, you could almost imagine if he had a stick, he'd just be whacking people. I mean, wouldn't you if you're trying to get Jesus to your home? And he's grabbing Jesus. Come on, come on. And then all of a sudden, he feels Jesus stiffen up. What are you doing? Don't stop. Come on. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? Do you think Jairus wanted Jesus to stop at the moment? Absolutely not. What are you doing? Don't care. Just leave her alone. Just go. No, come on. And Jesus turns around and says, Who touched me? And the disciples are saying, What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. And Jairus is probably with him. Everyone's touching you. Just let's go no, no, no. Who touched me? I'm not leaving until someone admits it. Come on, somebody. There's silence for a while. Jarius is frustrated. Come on. It's kind of like at the end of a business meeting when the boss says, does anybody have any questions? And the one guy raises his hand and he's like, shut up. Stop it. Don't. We're no more. We want to go home. Jarius is not Wanting or caring about this girl, he does not care about this woman, who, by the way, is desperate herself. You see, Jarius is only looking at his own need right now. You understand that this is a great miracle that happened. Here is a woman who had an issue of blood, had been bleeding for twelve years nonstop, and she came to Jesus in desperation. And just said, if I could touch the hem of his garment. According to the book of Numbers, it describes the type of uh, teacher's uniform. Um, By the way, Jesus' clothes was so important. It's actually mentioned in prophecy a couple times before the actual event. And then an emphasis on that there was something different about the clothes that he wore. That what he wore was an outfit that would picture him and identify him as a rabbi, a teacher. It would be equivalent to someone wearing uh, a suit or something to identify themselves. (laughs) Uh, And so it, it would have these tassels on them, on the hem of the garment, that would have a blue thread in the midst of it. And here's this lady. All she's doing is she's trying not to touch The garment itself, if I could touch just the hem, if I could just touch a tassel, and she grabs and touches the tassel, that's it. And Jesus stops the procession. Who touched me? Who touched me? Jairus is upset. Who cares? Just fine, let her go. And he spends time to talk to the lady. He's interacting with her and says, why do you touch me? And she begins to tell the story. Now it's summarized here, but could you imagine the lady all nervous and, uh, well, I'm sorry that I touched you, but for 12 years, and she would tell the story about how she went to the dent, uh, doctors and went to this doctor and all this stuff. You think Jarius really cares about the story? Shut up. Just go. Come on. You're healed. Go, go, go. He's patiently, come on, come on. Can you imagine Jarius behind here? Everyone else is watching this crowd. And this lady tell the story about how she's healed. Jarius doesn't care. She's in the way. But do you understand that God had ordered this stop? The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. May I also intervene that the stops of a good man... Are ordered by the Lord. You know, God knows what He's doing. And there are times that God allows us to wait on Him because He knows what He's doing. There are times that God puts us in a waiting pattern where we stop. And those are the times where we realize who God is that God is working, God is helping. This is a miraculous interruption that occurs. And finally, Jesus says, Be of good comfort thy faith hath been made whole. Who heard Jesus say this? Jairus did. You know, the Lord Jesus knew the whole time that Jairus was waiting. Jesus knew what was going to happen. May I also say that Jesus is never late. He is always on time. Let's prove that. So we start with a man in desperation. Here is Jairus who is desperate to get Jesus to his daughter. Then we have the miraculous interruption that here's a lady who got healed. And Jesus knows everything that's going on. Which brings us to the master at work. So Jesus turns to this lady and says, <coughs> let's actually read it in verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Now notice verse 29, 49, 49. And while he, that's Jesus, yet spoke, there came one of the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. Could you imagine what a heartbreak that would be to Jairus? So Jesus is addressing the lady and says, thy faith hath made thee whole. And at that moment, someone came to Jairus and said, sir, I'm sorry to tell you your daughter's dead. Uh, don't bother the master anymore. Don't, don't bother Jesus. How would you feel at this moment if you were Jarius? Jesus could take the time to heal this lady. And we couldn't make it to my daughter. If it wasn't for this crowd. If it wasn't for this lady. If it wasn't for this interruption. It would have been fine. My daughter would have been fine. Wouldn't you feel that way too? Wouldn't you be heartbroken too? All of these things got in the way. And you see, everything was trying to work on Jairus' timetable. But God doesn't work on Jairus' timetable. In fact, God has something better planned. Better? He allowed my daughter to die. God knows what he's doing. Notice, if you don't mind, what happens. But when Jesus heard it, so Jesus heard the report of this this man too. He heard the report. So this man comes up to begin to speak to Jairus. Jesus turns around, listens into the conversation. And the servant says, don't bother the master. No use of bringing him back. Jesus looks at him and says, fear not. Do you think Jairus was full of fear right now? The worst thing that ever could happen to him just did. His daughter died. What am I going to do? How am I going to live? This little girl was my life. She's gone. Fear not. But notice what he said now. Believe only. And she shall be whole. Made whole. What are you talking about? She is dead. There's nothing left to believe in. She is dead. I meant I believe that you can come and heal her but she's dead that's pretty final. You want me to believe still? Can you imagine what Jesus is asking him? He's asking him to believe when it was hard to believe. He was asking him to believe when it was impossible to believe. And then he said thou sh- she shall be made whole. Wouldn't that be a puzzling statement? Verse 51. And when he, that's Jesus, came to the house, he suffered or he didn't allow anyone um, to go in in except for Peter, James, John, and the father and mother of the maiden. So five people in Jesus are in this. He says, everyone else stay outside. We don't need a crowd for this. Hey, you boys, James, Peter, uh, John, come, let's go. And he grabs the father and mother and they go to the bedside of this young maid What's the reaction when they get there? In verse 52, and all wept. And all wept. I don't know how much experience that you have to see dead bodies, but to see the dead is a disturbing thought. To see a child dead is a, a type of place where it fractures a mind. And here it says that all wept. Of course, we could expect the mother and father. Could you imagine there? The father has his hand over his wife. She's got a a handkerchief on her face and just weeping. The father tears down his eyes. He's lost his strength. He was a leader. But now he's broken and he's crying. But they're not the only ones. Here's Peter looking at this girl. Already looking gray and ashen as the life has gone out of her, the blood has stopped pumping, and looking at this beautiful girl who's dead. Peter's crying, James is crying, John is crying, and they're just weeping, looking at the sight of this dead girl. If you can imagine here, time's passing, Jesus is allowing time to pass. Allowing to sink in the reality that this girl is dead. And their weeping turned to bewailing. This idea of bewailing is the uncontrollable mourning. The idea that it is uncontrollable sobs now. It's not just silent crying. It's the crying of blaming God and blaming the situation. And why? Again, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody in such distress. But it is... A very hard thing to do. Because what do you say? What do you do to someone who is in such mourning? Uncontrolled mourning. And they're just wailing more. And Peter, James, and John are there. And they're upset now. This isn't a very pleasant scene. And Jesus is observing them and watching their reactions here. What are their reactions saying? It's a reaction of faithlessness. Didn't Jesus just say that your daughter will be whole? Did he not say fear not? Did he not say believe only? And yet they have no belief left. They're looking at the reality of this dead girl and feel the hopelessness. But you understand that there's a God who's able to work even in the impossible situations. If you were to do anything else, you go to a medical examiner, bring him in here and say, hey, can this girl live? He'll say, no, she's gone. You could bring in the local physician. Is there anything I could do? No. You could even bring in the local preacher. Is there anything we could do? There's nothing to do. But Jesus is able to work in the impossible. So notice as he, they're weeping and bewailing in verse 52, but he said, weep not. She is not dead but sleepeth. So in the midst of this weeping and wailing and they're crying, Jesus says, hey, weep not. It's all right. She's not dead, but she sleepeth. How did they respond? Well, they respond out of a broken heart. Verse 53, And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. What are you, blind? She, of course she's dead. Let me uh, put a little adage here. Hurting people hurt people. Don't you think Jairus was hurt right now? The mother was hurt. And now Peter, James, and John, they're taken up in this too. And so Jairus, probably the most hurt, the most passionate. Come on, come on. What do you mean she's dead? Aren't you blind? There's nothing to her. She is dead. Peter, James, and John, maybe one of them said, Master, she is dead. (laughs) She's quite dead. Uh, You're not helping now. I mean, who knows what they said, but you know, this is not a situation where they're laughing him to scorn. This idea is that they're trying to hurt him with their words. Have you ever found a hurting person that wants to hurt people with their words? That's exactly where they're at. This uncontrolled grieving has now turned into passion. The passions don't turn off. Don't you wish you could turn off emotions sometimes with a flip of a switch? That'd be easier sometimes. But they don't turn off instantly. And so they're going from this uncontrolled grieving to Jesus saying something and now they're lashing out. And that passion is now directed towards someone. And they're laughing him to scorn. They're making fun of him. They're trying to hurt him with his words. Aren't you glad that we have a very patient God If that was you, would you say, oh, fine, if you want to be that way, hmm." I may feel like that. that. Hey, I'm just trying to help and you guys are all making fine. I'm so glad that we have a patient God who's patient with us, who when we do things out of emotion and passion and hurt people and even try to yell at Jesus, have you ever yelled at Jesus? It's not Jesus' fault, but we yell at him anyways. Aren't you glad we've got a passionate or patient God? Notice if you don't mind in verse 54. And he put them all out. All right. I need you all to leave. If if you're scorning and all this stuff is not going to help, get out. So he kicked him out of the room. And he took her by the hand saying, Maid, arise. Maid, arise arise. Hold your finger here and let's look at the uh, parallel passage in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. This is a parallel story dealing with the idea. And notice with me in Mark chapter 5 and verse 51 as he takes the damsel by the hand. Uh, Mark chapter 5 verse 41. And he took the damsel by the hand and say unto her, Tamatha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. This Talamatha kumai carries the idea here of little lamb, my precious lamb. He says, this damsel I say unto thee, arise. So my precious lamb, I care for you. You're something special to me. Arise. maid, arise. And her spirit came again and she arose straightway. So she got up. He took her by the hand and said, "Maid, arise. And she gets up. Can you imagine her eyes fluttering open? The pink come back to her skin. Uh, she's no longer gray and ashen. The blood begins to flow. She begins to look around and and start saying, uh, what's going on? Could you imagine this? Now, not only has she risen from the dead, but she's also healed. How do we know she's healed? And he commanded to give her meat. The proof that she was healed, that she was made whole, is that she was now able to eat again. And they gave her food. And her parents were astonished. Wouldn't you be astonished? Amen. Amen. But he charged them that they should tell no man what is done. He said, get up. Immediately she was made whole, ready to run and play. She was full of life again. What we see here is that Jairus received a bigger miracle. You say, what do I mean by this? What's a bigger miracle? To heal someone from sickness or to have them raised from the dead? Jairus was able to see the biggest miracle. He was able to know without a doubt this is the Christ who has power over life and death. And he raised them from the dead now may I also read this last part here where he says that he charged them that they should tell no man what is done why would you think he would do that I mean this is a proof that Jesus is God well this is more of a practical reason because as soon as they people started realizing that Jesus is raising from the people from the grave They'll start digging up caskets and start lining up for them. He was already working day and night healing the sick. This was a practical idea here. Now he had Peter, James, and John as, as, um, as proof, as witnesses. And so we could tell the story later and there's people there. But we don't need everyone digging up their grand grandma who's been dead for 100 years and say, I really miss grandma. Can you heal her? That's not what Jesus was there to do. So this is a practical idea. But here is Jairus, who in the midst of his grieving, in the midst of it, saw Jesus work the impossible. Healing the girl from the dead was believable. It was something that Jesus had done before. And so you could have faith. Sure, Jesus can do that. But he got to watch Jesus do the impossible, the unbelievable, because that's what our God can do. How did he get to the place where he was able to do the unbelievable? Divine interventions. A divine interruption. That there was an interruption. God doesn't work on our time schedule. He knows what's best. Was the best thing for Jarius to have this interruption? Absolutely. He may not have felt like it at the time. But God knows what he's doing. We have to remember this within our own life, that there may be some things that you're praying for. There may be some things you could say, I know this is God's will for my life. I know it's God's will for me to have or to see. But then God brings in these divine interventions. Does it mean that God has forgotten you or that God's got too busy? But God knows what he's doing and his timing is always perfect. Can you trust God not only to give you the next step But to give you the next stop. Can you trust God when he says stop and wait here? Can you trust God when he puts something in your path. And you say I'm trying to get over there. Why are you in my way? You know it is amazing. As we see in this story here. One of the true tests of what we're believing in. If we're truly trusting in God. Is how we deal with roadblocks. How we deal with things that get in our way. I don't know about you, but I'm not a very patient guy. Meaning that if I see more than three people in the McDonald's line, I'm going to a different McDonald's. I'm going, so I just, nope. That's just me. And I'm not bragging. I'm saying that's probably a flaw. But how do you respond when something gets in your way? Do you respond by faith? Can you say God knows what he's doing? This may not be what I have chosen, but I can trust that God chose for me. And he knows what's best. You see, Jesus is trying to, even in this time, is telling Jairus to believe only. Be of good comfort. Fear not. Believe only. Can you believe when it's hard to believe? Do you trust God enough that he knows what he's doing? that even in these interruptions that you can still say that God is good and that God is right maybe you have a child that needs to be made whole you know that they're not where they're supposed to be and you know that God's will you know that God wants them to be right and yet it looks like things get worse and worse and worse for them can you still believe can you still trust God The reason why I mention that is because I've actually heard some people say that if God doesn't answer your prayer and get them saved, then it must be not God's will for them to get saved and stop praying for them. You know how hopeless that thought is? We should always have hope. It doesn't matter how far gone our loved ones are. We can expect that God can still revive them. That God can still do a work. We can trust him. Maybe it's an idea of a financial thing that you look at your checkbook and say, I think I could barely stretch this if it works out. And if I could get here, and then all of a sudden a big interruption hits. and you go, ah, it knocked everything off. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? Maybe you have a big plan and you say, I know where God wants me. He wants me other side. And that storm hits and you go, I don't know how we're going to survive this. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? You see, those times of waiting, God puts in there to help us to learn to believe in him when it doesn't look like it's going to work out. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? We have the God of the impossible. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? (laughs)